You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So open our Bibles to our scripture readings for this morning. We read from two passages in connection with Lord's Day 43. First of all, from John 8, verses 31 to 47. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Let's also go over to Colossians 3 at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, 
and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. This morning the sermon is on the truth of God's word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 43 of the Hatterberg Catechism. What is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, once again this past week there was high drama on Parliament Hill in Ottawa, at least what passes for high drama in Canadian politics anyway. The former head of the, the Royal Canadian Mint was in front of a Commons Committee investigating his expense accounts. The Conservative Party alleges that David Dingwall was charging the Canadian taxpayer for all kinds of mundane and ridiculous expenses, including at least one package of chewing gum. David Dingwall emphatically denies all of it. In fact, last Wednesday, he was in front of the committee and he, he waved a package of gum in front of the, the committee and he challenged them to find a record of this kind of expense. 
Conservative Party says he did it. David Dingwall denies it. Who's telling the truth? Is somebody deliberately or perhaps unintentionally twisting or distorting the truth? Now, I hardly need to tell you that these kinds of issues don't only come up in politics. We find the same in our lives, and it doesn't matter what, we're, what age we're at either. Somebody says that somebody else said something mean or malicious, and, and when confronted, the other person denies it. I didn't say any such thing. Are they doing it intentionally? Did they honestly forget that they said it? Or is their recollection of the event, is it skewed in some way, either intentionally or unintentionally? Is this a matter of sin or a matter of human weakness? How do we deal with these issues? Well, like with all other issues in the Christian life, we begin by looking at ourselves very closely. We look at ourselves in the light of what God says about us in His Word. Who are we? And how is that going to impact, how is that going to affect how we live? As you know, this year's theme in the home visits is our identity in Christ. Being in Christ. So who are we? We are redeemed believers who have union with Christ, our head. We are in Him. We are His body. And we can see in our reading from John 8 that He is the truth. In verse 32, he says that the truth will set his disciples free. And then in verse 36, he says that the Son is the one who gives freedom. The conclusion is made more explicit in the famous passage of John 14, verse 6, where the Lord Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the truth. That means truth characterizes and defines his mission, freeing people from slavery to lies and slavery to the father of lies. Truth characterizes his nature. He represents honesty in full bloom. And his speech, the words that come out of his mouth, they embody truth. And so it is to be with those who are in him. Those who are in Christ more and more reflect their identity with the way they speak. And that point is driven home in Lord's Day 43. This morning we'll see that the ninth commandment, as part of our sanctification, as part of our thankfulness to the Lord, requires that we more and more reflect who we are in Christ, especially as it pertains to our speech. So this morning we'll hear God's word under this theme, our speech increasingly reflects our identity in the truth. And this is shown in, first of all, putting to death old ways and attitudes, and second of all, bringing new ways and attitudes to life. So first of all, the putting to death. Now that idea of putting old ways to death and bringing new ways to life, that idea is a biblical one. You can see it in Ephesians, for instance, and we can also see it in what we read from Colossians. Because it's scriptural, the catechism also works with this idea in Lord's Day 33, when true repentance or conversion is discussed. 
It's clear that a, a big part of our sanctification is played out in this process of putting old ways to death and bringing new ways to life. Now, sanctification, you may remember, is the process by which God makes us more and more into who God wants us to be. The Holy Spirit works in us to make us increasingly who God wants us to be. Sanctification is something which is ongoing in every Christian's life. That means we're all works in progress. And this whole process is based upon our new identity in Christ. When the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts, we become united to Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We are a new creation in Him. And the scriptures are clear that this union, this new identity, is going to have an impact on how we live our daily lives. We're going to be putting our old nature to death more and more. Well, let's parse that with the ninth commandment in Colossians 3. Consider what God says in verse 9 of Colossians 3. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now, right off the bat, someone might say, well, you know, this has nothing to do with the ninth commandment. After all, the ninth commandment does not say, you shall not lie. And that's true enough. It says you shall not bear false witness or give false testimony against your neighbor. However, the Christian church has always recognized that God uses this one concrete example of bearing false witness against a neighbor in a court setting. He uses that one concrete example to establish a general principle. Believers are to love the truth. They're to steer away from falsehood, to steer away from deceit and lying. Bearing false witness is just one concrete example of how people break the general principle. Colossians 3 verse 9 works with another concrete example, lying to each other. God says that we ought to be honest and truthful with those around us. Why? Because it says there, We have taken off the old self. The old nature is being put to death. We are no longer controlled by those things. Verse 7 says, You used to walk in these ways. This used to be your habit. These kinds of things consistently characterize the lives of those who don't believe. But for those of us who are redeemed... Our lives have to be consistently characterized by something different. Different habits, different ways of walking. Now the lying to each other in verse 9 is one thing. We also have the malice and slander in verse 8 of Colossians 3. These things also fall under the ninth commandment. Malice is defined as the desire to harm, the desire to cause trouble for others. It's ill will. Malice is a matter of what lives in your heart, your attitude towards others. Then there's slander. Well, slander is defined as making false, damaging statements about others. Slander reveals what lives in our hearts. In the same way as the third commandment 
forbids us from injuring God's name and honor with our speech. The ninth commandment forbids us from injuring our neighbor's name and honor with our speech. So we're to be taking off lying to one another, as well as malice and slander. This taking off and putting on is an an image that Paul uses here in Colossians. Another image. Now, the, the image is one of a person taking off certain clothes and then putting on others. And you know what happens when you take off certain clothes and you put on others? You get a new appearance. Well, in this case, it's an appearance which is not just about appearance. It's an appearance that reflects the reality of being in Christ. Having the beginnings of a transformed, sanctified life. It's pointing to the same thing as the putting to death and bringing to life. Now the catechism has the same basic idea in Lord's Day 43. Notice that it begins with a must not. I must not give false testimony and so on. There's a negative part. And then there's a positive part. I must. I must avoid all lying and deceit. I must love the truth and so on. Now this structure in Lord's Day 43 reflects this biblical concept of putting off and putting on or another way of putting it, putting to death and bringing to life. You can see it in the other Lord's Days on the Ten Commandments too. It's not just here in Lord's Day 43. And when the Catechism works with the idea of putting off the old nature in connection with the Ninth Commandment, we do get a more comprehensive picture than we do in Colossians 3. And we would expect that. After all, the Catechism is summarizing all the scriptural teaching on this point not just Colossians 3. So we find, first of all, the concrete example of the Ninth Commandment itself. No false testimony in a court of law. But then it goes further. We are not to twist the words of another person. And that includes exaggerating. Exaggerating what others have said to make it sound worse than it was. And the Catechism mentions gossip and slander. We've already touched on slander. What about gossip? I think we know what gossip is. Gossip is usually understood as talking about other people behind their backs and and doing it almost always in in a negative way. Note that this says nothing about whether or not what you are saying is true. The truth of what you are gossiping about is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. When we gossip, we probably say a lot of things that are true. But that doesn't make it less sinful. We have to think about what lives in our hearts when we do these things. What is motivating us when we gossip? Perhaps we're we're just bored. And we get together with our friends and family and we can't talk about anything meaningful. So we start talking about other people. Maybe it's that innocent. Maybe we're just bored. But more often, there's more happening. In fact, with all these different ways of breaking the Ninth Commandment, there's a whole complex of of things going on in our hearts, aren't there? Well, keeping that in mind, we have to look closely at what motivates us. Why do we slander? Why do we exaggerate? Why do we gossip? Is it because we're filled with love for the Lord? We're filled with love for our neighbors who are created in God's image? 
Is it because of our pride? What motivates us? And when we think about this aspect of putting these sinful things in our lives to death, it's helpful to keep asking ourselves the question, why? What's driving me to do this? Why am I doing this? And then take the next step. Look to Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, look at who He is. Look at what He has done for you. By God's grace, we have union with Him. Romans 6 tells us that we share in His death on the cross. More particularly, our old nature was crucified with Him. So when God looks at us now, He doesn't see our old nature. He sees us as we are in Christ. That's good news, isn't it? And this good news is going to affect how we live today. Our old nature is crucified with Christ. This is true in principle, as far as God is concerned. But in the here and now, in the practice of our daily lives, the old nature is still there. Our old nature still needs to continually be put to death. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the tension of the Christian life. The already, but the not yet. As believers, we have a new nature in Christ. But we still have an old nature, too, with which we're called to struggle. And that struggle means putting to death false testimony, twisting of words, exaggerating, gossiping, slandering, malice. It also includes jumping to rash and uncharitable judgments, something we often seem to specialize in. But on the other hand, There's also the positive side of living out of our new nature. Let's look at what that entails in our second point this morning. That we show our identity and the truth by bringing new ways and attitudes to life. So there's the the putting off, the putting to death, the negative side of things. But it's not like that's all there's to it, as if we would be left naked or dead. There's the negative side of things, but Scripture and our, our confessions also speak of a positive side. Our union with Christ, our identity in Him, results in a putting on of new ways and attitudes, bringing new ways and attitudes to life. And of course, this includes our speech. Lord's Day 43 speaks of these new ways and attitudes in the second half of the answer. We're called to love the truth. As those who are in the truth, in Jesus Christ, loving the truth, that that should be a no-brainer. We're also called to speak the truth honestly. When we talk, the words that that come out of our mouths have to reflect our identity in the Lord. The Catechism also speaks about confessing the truth honestly. Let's stop there for a second. If you think about it, that's a peculiar expression. Confessing the truth honestly. What does that mean? Well, it also has to do with our speech. In particular, think about the promises we make when we do public profession of our faith. We're asked whether we believe the doctrine of the Word of God summarized in the confessions and taught in this Christian church. When we say yes, and really mean it, we are confessing the truth, honestly. The truth is all that is promised us in the gospel. The truth is Jesus Christ to whom all those promises point, all those teachings point. 
And we're not only called to confess that truth when we make public profession of faith, just on one occasion. It's supposed to be a lifelong thing. Every time God gives us an open door, and we should be praying for those open doors, when God gives us an open door, we go through it. That means we speak the truth of God's word whenever, with whomever we can. We speak about Christ. We speak about the glorious depths of God's grace in Christ. And we speak about how the Reformed Confession captures the truth of God's Word in a way that's not found anywhere else. So the Catechism mentions confessing the truth honestly. It also speaks about avoiding all lying and deceit as the devil's own works. In Proverbs 12.22 we read, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. And Revelation 21, 8 tells us that the fiery lake of burning sulfur, the second death, waits for those who can be characterized as liars. The church father, Augustine, he captured the danger in lying and deceit when he said, the one who lies dies in his soul. The one who lies dies in his soul. You see, lying and death belong together like husband and wife. They are one rotten, gangrenous flesh. So as believers united to Christ, we live out of our our new nature by avoiding that unholy union. Colossians 3 speaks the same language as, as the Catechism. When the Spirit begins speaking about putting on certain virtues... He speaks about things that are required by the ninth commandment as well. For instance, in verse 12, he speaks about clothing ourselves with compassion and kindness. In verse 12, he sums it all up by saying, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. If we have love for each other, we'll be doing whatever we can to defend and promote the reputation of our neighbors. You see, the ninth commandment commands the Christian virtue of charitability. Our human nature is to think the worst of one another. Even in the church, where the Holy Spirit is working to sanctify us, to make us more and more look like Christ, sometimes it seems like we actually want to think that each person is as evil as they possibly could be. But the Bible tells us to take a different approach. Sure, we have to be realistic about the effects of sin. That's true. There is the doctrine of total depravity. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, that applies to me too. But that's not all there is to be said, thankfully. Especially in the church, the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is living in me. He's living in others. He is working in them to make them into who they are in Christ. So should I automatically be thinking the worst of other people? Doesn't the ninth commandment mean that I should do my best to be honest? To be realistic about the work of the Holy Spirit and the lives of other believers? Doesn't the ninth commandment mean that I should assume that Other people have good motives too. Being charitable to one another is another way in which we put on 
the new nature. Thinking the best of one another is another way that we reflect who we are now in Christ. Christ is the truth embodied. He's love embodied. If we are truly in Him, if we have union with Him by true faith, then we should pray for His Spirit to work in us. We should pray for the Spirit to so work that Christ would more and more be seen in us. That more and more Christ is heard in the way we speak, with the words we speak. We should pray that Christ would more and more be portrayed in in the attitudes that we harbor towards one another. You see, if Christ is truth, our union with Him means that we should also be truth. That means that our entire being, our whole nature, would be characterized by truth and a love for truth. And let's be clear about that. That's not truth in the, in the abstract. For instance, it doesn't mean that you always have to speak what is true. There can be instances where silence is called for. If you are an ugly, rude person, and I'm not saying that you are an ugly, rude person, but... If you are an ugly, rude person, I do not have to tell you that you are an ugly, rude person. You see, our union with the truth means more. Jesus Christ is the truth, but He is more. Love also characterizes Him. That means that as we put on truthfulness and honesty, we also put on love. You know, we're all bringing out our our fall jackets now. Maybe some of those jackets, maybe some of them have liners in them for for winter. Well, we're called to put on the jacket of truth, but we also have to put on the liner of love. Ephesians 4, 15-16 speaks this way, and it connects the speaking of truth in love with our identity in Christ. Listen to what it says there. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him, there's the identity, who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The world tells us that truth is a personal thing. The world says that truth is subjective, that there is no real truth. There are only perceptions, people's perceptions of what is real and true. We know different. We know different because we know Jesus Christ, the truth of God in the flesh. And we not only know him, we are in him. And that reality is going to impact our way of looking at the world and our our way of looking at the people around us. It will affect our, our ways of thinking, speaking, and acting. Because we are in Christ, we will strip off pretension and deceit, gossip, slander, falsehood. Because we are in Christ, we will put on truth and honesty doing whatever we can to advance the name of our neighbors. And so because we are in Christ, by the power of His Spirit, we're going to be more and more looking like Him. And that will result in more praise for Him. And that's why we were created. 
Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.